Welcome to everybody at our CM campus and to all of you who join us online each week. Josh, if you'll swing up here, one of the visions I have for Christ Church is that we would be a creating community. That this would be a church where God would put it in the hearts of our people to write songs, to write books, to truly help resource the body of Christ. And Josh, I'm pretty excited. You've got a brand new EP, extended play, album out, just came out today. 3 a.m. I've already morning. listened to it. I've already <laughs> spun it today. Uh, can you let everybody know a little bit about this? Did you like it? I loved it, man. Okay, good. Just yes. what I've come to expect from you. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So as of uh, 3 a.m. this morning specifically, uh, me and the Going Deeper music team put out project number four, uh, Parkview Road. I can hear it. You're wondering why. Why Parkview Road? Do you live on Parkview Road? I used to live on Parkview used Road. Used to live. All right. I grew up. This is my childhood home street, all that kind of stuff. So it's purely for nostalgic, uh, nostalgia's sake. Uh, so we've sung two of these songs uh, over the past couple months in service. We did a, you know, our own rendition of Amazing Grace, Peace Like a River, uh, and the other two tracks you'll have to maybe tune in to listen, or if you don't, that's mine too, but they're there. Awesome, man. Yes. Thank you for your good work. Thank you just for leading the chorus of praise. I, I don't know about you, but I am at a point in my life where I'm just grateful for what I have. You know, I think one of the real keys to just happiness is being grateful for what you have. If you really want to be unhappy, focus on what you don't have. And if you really want to be unhappy, focus on all the people that don't give you what you want. Now you, now you got a combination for internal combustion. But I've got to tell you, just being appreciative. And let me tell you, I am so appreciative of Josh, of the band, of the people who come and serve on Wednesday nights and just bring us before the throne. I look forward every Wednesday night. If you're here during the late afternoon, this, it actually starts during the day. They just start practicing, and you just kind of hear it, you know? And you just kind of feel a little Holy Ghost banking up, you know? And it's just awesome. Also, want to let you know those of you that are considering our turkeys, our Turkey and Greece pilgrimage, a year and three days from now, we're going to be taken off. How many of you are going on this trip for sure? Raise your hand. So look around. These are the people that are going for sure. If you would like some information, our very last information meeting is going to be Sunday, September 24th at 3 o'clock. It'll be right here. So if you've already been to an information meeting, you don't need to come to this one unless you just like to. But this last information meeting, Sunday, September 24th, 3 o'clock, you say, when do I have to decide? You've really got several months before you have to decide. You really have several months. But we do want to begin the process of moving from just recruiting for the trip to begin to knit some genuine community in the people who are going on the trip to give us every opportunity for God to move in our lives. I just want to throw one other thing out. We are also looking, not looking, we're going to do a January 2026 Israel-only trip. And maybe if you're at a point, you're saying, gosh, I, I probably am going to be able to do one of these over my whole life. I'm designing this trip for you. I'm designing this trip for you. We're going to stay in decent, nice places to be sure, but I'm doing everything I can to get the cost down. I'm doing everything I can to make this work. We're going to hit every great highlight in uh, Israel. We're going to start in Bethlehem. We're going to head up to the Sea of Galilee, and we will finish up in Jerusalem. And so you'll actually get to stay in Palestinian territory. 
in Bethlehem. We'll see where Jesus was born, or at least we'll be pretty close to it. You'll remember your baptism in the lower Jordan River. We'll take communion in the garden tomb. It's going to be an incredible experience. And so those are some things that are just coming up. I believe the Bible represents God's living, breathing word to humanity. I believe God's will for our lives is communicated through scripture, and the best life of any individual is found in submission to the clear and consistent teachings of the Bible. This is a core value for me. This is why I consider verse-by-verse study of the Bible to be essential Christian practice. It's just essential Christian practice. I'm further convinced that when we do the right things the right way, we will get the right results in the right time. In our text today, Paul is pointing out the advantages of being obedient to God. And he's pointing these out to the believers who comprise the church at Colossae. And in a year and about 10 days, we will actually be standing in ancient Colossae. I want to welcome you to Reign of Freedom, verse-by-verse study through Paul's letter to the Corinthians. While a lot of the New Testament letters are circular, they, they were written to be passed from church to church. Think blog. This one isn't that. This one is written to a specific church to address specific challenges within that church. Think personal letter. Of concern to Paul was this dangerous theological baggage that is accumulating within the church at Colossae. They had everything they needed to be a faithful church. Unfortunately, they'd also picked up some dangerous ideas, and they were growing in their midst. They weren't getting tamped down. They were growing. Some years ago, when Melissa and I still shared a bathroom, did you notice that was in past tense? (laughs) When Melissa and I still shared a bathroom, our sink was draining more and more slowly. And then one day it just stopped up as sinks will do. Now I could have called a plumber, but plumbers are really expensive, really expensive. And we weren't anywhere close to there yet. So I bought some off-brand Drano, some off-brand Drano. I poured it in, but after an hour or so, it clearly wasn't doing enough. What it did on the commercials, it did not do in my drain. So I knew I had a bigger problem than Drano-ish in this case. So then I decided to grab the plunger. And then I thought I should have done this first before I poisoned the water. (laughs) Right? I mean, wouldn't that have been really bright before you poisoned the water? Maybe grab the plunger first. But it was too late for that now. It was just too late for that now. So it was now either pay $150 to call a plumber or risk possible toxic burns on my epidermis and possibly my eyes. So it was really a no-brainer. I grabbed the plunger. So I grabbed the plunger, and I began the plunging process. You guys know how that goes, right? I began it with all my heart. I mean, I leaned into that. And at first, there was really nothing happening. And then you know how it kind of goes. You kind of get it right, and all that water's kind of whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Kind of got all that going, and all of a sudden, bam, it just broke loose. So I pulled up the plunger, and coming up with it was a possible life form. (laughs) It emerged from the 
pipe, and it was just laying there as all the water cascaded down the drain. And so I decided to study it because I didn't know what it was. Uh, I just decided to study it. I, I was sure I saw something like it on one of the Star Trek movies. And so I'm looking at it, and what I kind of discerned, it was a grayish plug of some sort containing lots of really long brown hair, various and sundry hair products, soap, and any number of unidentified properties. And the other thing was, it was still stuck. I had to sort of keep pulling at it because it had wrapped its tentacles around stuff somewhere down in the pipe, but eventually I got it all out. Clearly, this thing had been hiding down there for some time. I'm thinking in Loch Ness monster fashion, perhaps. It had been hiding down there for some time. And then one day it just grew and grew and grew until it completely occluded the pipes. The plumbing was just fine. I just had extra stuff down there. <laughs> I just had extra stuff down there that clogged things up. I just waited too late. I had a problem I could have solved with Drano a few weeks ago, or even Drano-ish. But now I'd waited too late. And it had to be solved a little bit differently. Nowadays, when my sink begins to slow down, I proactively pour a little bit of real Drano in the drain opening before things get too bad. You see, I found that one ounce of prevention is worth a pound of gelatinous hairball, which in this case is not a metaphor. In a sense, Paul's doing the same thing with the church in Colossae. Their pipes are fine. Their plumbing is just fine. But those pipes are becoming occluded with substances foreign to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I have a concern that the American church has picked up too many substances that are foreign to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not that there's anything essentially wrong with the plumbing. We just got extra stuff growing in there. Paul wants to clear these things out before real problems develop. And he has to call a plumber. Paul's task is to keep sound doctrine in the Colossian church and to get the quickly accumulating false doctrine out, hopefully without damaging any of the pipes. I've got to tell you, I feel in some ways that that is a part of what God's called me to do at this stage in my ministry and in the context that I find myself in. You know, I, I want to affirm what is good and the great things I see, but there's also times that we have to say, there are some things going on that just aren't right. There's some things going on that are gonna kill us if we don't address them. There's some viruses in the American church that are truly concerning. And if we don't name them, if we don't call them out, if we don't start a little bit of intervention right now, it could be too late before we notice the sink is completely clogged up. And it happens in our lives as well. Have you ever been on a good run with God? And then the, your drain started slowing down a little bit. You know how it goes, right? You get to church less and less. You get to be excited about it less and less. You were really volunteering and now you're not. And then you think, what am I going to do? I'm drifting the wrong way. I got it. I'll get mad. 
Yeah, I just get mad. That's better than being lame, right? I'll just be mad. We live in a culture today. I am angry, therefore I am. So I'm just gonna get mad. That's better. So we just decide to get mad. Well, who does that really hurt? I assure you the Lord's work's gonna go on just fine. The only difference is we aren't. We aren't. Our best lives are lived in service to God. And Paul's saying to the church at Colossae, that your best lives are lived in service to God. And I see gelatinous, gunky stuff slowing your drain down. Let's address this before we've got a real problem. Now, the church, this, this is a little complex because Paul didn't start that church and Paul doesn't know anybody in the church. So they would have known of Paul, but they have no personal attachment to him whatsoever. So the question becomes, will they trust Paul enough to take his advice? And frankly, that's yet to be seen. Paul has offered a careful introduction, a generous assessment, a gracious encouragement to the Colossian church. He's now offering final words of exhortation before he prepares to launch into his substance of his letter, which is essentially corrective in nature. He leveraged their mutual friendship, relationship with Epaphras. He's established a spiritual connection through prayer. He's petitioned that God would grant the Colossians wisdom and complete understanding. And now, after telling them that I've been praying for you, it is perfectly logical that they may wonder, well, what did God tell you? Have you ever had somebody tell you they were praying for you? And when people tell me that, I'm always saying, well, what did God tell you? You know, is this abstract or something happened here? What did God tell you? And he's hoping that's where they are. Petitions now prayerfully offered. Paul is getting ready to lean into what he's really wanting to do. He set up this letter really, really well. The concept he uses of complete, complete understanding, complete knowledge is important because Paul is essentially saying, you all are off to a great start. Let's finish the thing. You're off to a great start. Let's finish this thing. That is a whole lot better than saying, I know I'm a total stranger, so let me tell you everything I think you're doing wrong. Did you know, my friends, a lot of times it's not what we say, it's how we say it. Sometimes we speak truth, but we speak it in ways that make it impossible for somebody to hear. Paul is working really, really hard to make sure that the people of Colossae are going to be able to hear the truth he's about to speak. So with prayers for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding now communicated... Paul is going to address some clear incentives for receiving and applying what he is about to share. And these incentives kind of answer what I'm going to call the elephant in the room. Here's the elephant in the room. Being as we don't know you, Paul, and being as you don't know us, why should we listen to anything you have to say? And it's really a pretty good question. It's really a pretty good question. Paul's literary response begins with verse 10. Because then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. 
And all the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Well, isn't that a calm, rational answer to a highly radiating question? Paul argues that by accepting and applying his words, the Colossians will enter into a very blessed kind of life that's going to be pleasing to God and fulfilling personally. Accepting and applying God's word answers some of the most basic questions of existence, and it produces a life that will do very specific things. So if you're taking notes, here's a good time to do it. Here are some incentives of application. If we apply God's word to our lives, here are some incentives. We will always honor God. The Greek word for honor means to place value on a thing. You ever wonder how much something's worth? It means to place value on a thing. How we live our lives as professing Christians either brings honor or dishonor to God. Full submission to God's word assures that we will fully honor God, not sometimes or partially honor God. Do some of you feel like you honor God better sometimes than other times? I was in a uh, big box store a few years back, and I just heard a ruckus. Is that a word that is used commonly? Okay, I just heard a ruckus going on. And somebody was screaming at employees. There were more employees going, and clearly it was really bad. And I walked to see what's going on, because when I see people about to fight or I see some really huge kind of conflict, I think to myself, this could be a better than average afternoon. So I just kind of go over, just kind of want to see what's going on, you know, just thinking my day might be looking up. So I kind of went over. The person causing all the problem attended our church. And in this wonderful event, they looked over and saw me. And I was just going. <laughs> I'm guessing they felt they pleased God better at other times than they were at that moment. Paul says if we apply the word, we won't partially honor God. We won't sometimes please God. And this really answers the question of how do we have consistent Christian character? We have consistent Christian character as we consistently live by the word of God. Number two, we will always please God. You ever wonder if God's pleased with you? You know what you do, but if you ever wonder if God's pleased. When we live according to God's word, we don't have to speculate on whether God's pleased with us. We know God is pleased with us. Living God's way is pleasing to God. Not sometimes, but all of the time. To use my language, if you really want to adopt a beautiful lifestyle, learn to live the ping life. Find a Christian baseline that is pleasing to God. Listen for the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Go with them when the Spirit leads you. Pretty simple way to live. But when you do that, you will live a life that will always please God. It will always please God. So if the first issue addressed consistency in our character, this issue addresses consistency in our walk. Number three, be productive. Now, going back to creation itself, reproduction is a sign of God's favor. God didn't just plant the Garden of Eden. It had a perpetual source. He didn't have to recreate it every time stuff died. It recreated on itself. Reproduction was a sign of God's favor. In fact, the very first thing God really says to people is be fruitful and multiply and multiply. That simply means we are to be engaged in the process of sharing our faith and inviting others to Jesus. 
healthy things grow. This addresses the question of purpose in our witness. There are some cards for going deeper right outside. I encourage you to grab a card, invite someone you know to come on Wednesday night. Uh, Pretty simple to do. But as we make those invitations, we plant seeds. The Bible promises if we plant enough seeds, some will hit good ground and some will grow and bear forth much fruit. Christians must be productive. Number four, we embrace process. I think it's really, really important. When we apply the word, we embrace a process. As we consistently engage the Bible, we hit inevitable points of crises. Any serious reading of the Bible will bring you to crises after crises after crises after crises. These are forks in the trail where we have to decide, am I going to go with my way of thinking or am I going to honor God? Am I going to go with this culture's way of thinking or am I going to honor God? Am I going to be in the majority or am I going to honor God? You see, the way I think about this, this can either be one big decision or a thousand small ones. Let me tell you what I mean. I decided long ago that when the Bible and I disagree, it's me who is in error. That's my default. If me and the Bible disagree, it's me who is in error. It is not the Bible that needs to be changed. It is me who needs to change. Because I made this one big decision, I don't have a thousand gut-wrenching small decisions to make every time an issue comes my way. I submit to the reign and rule of God in my life. I believe God's way is the best way. So that matter is settled for me. People will sometimes ask me, why don't you really want to talk about it? Because I've already made up my mind on it. I've already made up my mind on it. I don't need to rehash stuff. I've already made up my mind on it. Guess why I made up my mind? So I can apply my mind to other stuff. So we are to embrace this process This addresses the question of what I'm going to call single-mindedness. I believe that if if I was going to point to a couple problems in the American church, in addition to biblical illiteracy, I think there's a real double-minded spirit in the American church. There's just double-minded. And and James says a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. A lot of times I'll have people that come up to me and they're really radiating at high frequencies And they're really torn between two positions. And I'll just say, you know, you just need to make up your mind because you can't live this way. It's going to kill you. You just need to make up your mind on the thing. I've already made up my mind. I believe the Bible's the word of God. My best life is lived according to the Bible's teachings. I've already made up my mind on that. I don't need to think about it extra. I've already got my mind made up. So this addresses that that single-mindedness. Another advantage is that it's going to produce learning in us. So if we apply God's word, we will be learners. You can't hike a lifelong trail in an hour. And some of you may be new Christians, and you're you're down on yourself because, because you feel like you're not making great progress. Guys, it takes a long time to hike a long trail. People that you may see that that really exemplify Christ, they've probably been at it a while. They've probably been at it a while. I just want to encourage you to chart your progress along the way. Obedience to God is how we make and measure progress. We should celebrate every time we intentionally choose God's way over our way. 
Every time we resist temptation, we should celebrate. Every time we respond to a situation better than we would have, no matter how poorly, we should still celebrate. I really think if we got in celebration mode when we get things right, instead of beat ourselves up mode when we get things wrong, God would get glory and Satan would lose influence over our lives. And this answers the question of how do I stay engaged and encouraged? It's also really cool if you can pull some people around you to cheerlead you along the way. You know, you're still an idiot, but you used to be a complete idiot. That is a win. (laughs) That is a win. It's good to have people around you to cheerlead you, to, to support you, to love you, speak truth to you. That is one of the great things. So, so we, we learn as we apply God's word. Six, we activate growth. Application of God's word activates growth. Only a fool who thinks they know everything rejects a learning curve. You show me somebody that doesn't have a heart to learn, doesn't have a heart to get better, and I'll show you somebody that's as good as they're ever gonna be. I know a lot of golfers who've been playing for decades, but they've never gotten any better. They're still quite terrible. You want to know why? Because they keep doing the same wrong stuff over and over. And deep in their golfing hearts, they believe that doing the wrong stuff over and over will make you improve. Wrong, wrong, wrong. I just want to tell you, doing the same stuff over and over that's wrong isn't going to improve you. You see, if you try to give some of these people advice, they'll say, I don't need advice from you. I've been playing golf for 40 years. And my question would be, have you been growing in the game for 40 years? Or have you simply played a first year game 40 times? I ask the same things to Christians. I'll ask people, you know, have you really been a Christian for 40 years or Have you been a Christian one year 40 consecutive times? When we engage with the word, we grow. So I just want to ask a question. Are you growing in Christ? You say, I've been a Christian for... That's not what I'm asking. Are you growing in Christ? Are you closer to Jesus than you were? If not, you're stagnated. And engaging with scripture addresses the question of how to keep growing, and how to avoid stagnation. If you stay in the word, it just keeps pushing at you. God will love on you, and God will shove on you if you stay in the word. And that's why it's so important that we do that, so that we activate growth. And then finally, number seven, it enables us to better know God. That's kind of the end game of this. What is the ultimate reward of Christianity? It's knowing God. The ultimate reward is relationship. The Bible is the map for getting from where we are to where God wants us to be. This kind of answers the question of the long game. So where does the trail lead? To eternal relationship with God. To a relationship so powerful that human death is not even a speed bump. On a time continuum. There are times when I feel like in some ways you almost break loose of time and space. And one of those times is just in worship. Have you ever just been worshiping and and suddenly you're not singing anymore? You're worshiping. 
And have you ever got to the point you got so tunnel visioned that all you could really experience was God's pleasure in that moment? If you've ever experienced that, there's nothing else in this life that will ever compare to that. It leaves us longing for heaven. We get some of heaven on earth, but we get it in hints and tastes and rumors and echoes. But there will be a day when our relationship with God will be unfettered by time and space. And to quote the old hymn writer, and what a glorious day that will be. So this answers the question of eternity. It answers the long game. So my argument here And Paul's argument here is that every great thing any of us could hope for in life comes as a result of engaging God through Scripture. It's an essential practice. Verse 11 and 12. We also pray that you'll be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you'll have the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father that has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to God's holy people who live in the light. This is the kind of Paul stuff that if you don't hit the brakes, you're going to speed by it. I'm, I'm dead serious. It's, it's the kind of Paul stuff that just kind of... So let's tap the brakes for just a second. In these two verses, Paul adds four very specific outcomes of hearing and heeding the word of God. So I'm going to call these subtle synonyms that lead to incontestable truth. Paul's using a common rhetorical device where you utilize several related words to make a single point. So the words are nuanced here. They're nuanced, but I want to take a look at them. So let's just take this verse by verse. You will be strengthened with his glorious power. Greek Greek verb for strength provides the root word for dynamite. In English, it means to make strong. We might say to possess the firepower. The letter that follows will be an opportunity to make the church strong by calling out the fallacies of Colossae while reinforcing the good things that are already happening in the church. This isn't people power. This is God power. As we obey God, as we walk in the Lord, We more and more rely on God power and less and less on our own strength. That's why the longer you're a Christian, the easier it gets. Because we learn to rely on God's power. So let's look at these nuances. The more obedience, the more power. The more obedience, the more power. Then it says, you will be strengthened with his glorious power, so... You may have all endurance and patience. Now, this refers to the ability to overcome setbacks, discouragement, challenges, and trials for the purpose of more fully knowing God. It's determination to stay on the trail. It's determination to stay at it. The first word used to here refers to patience with circumstances, and the second word refers to patience with people. Everyone gets discouraged by the same stuff that discourages everybody else. We all think we're really unique. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, we're really a whole 
a lot more the same than we are different. And the stuff that discourages one person really discourages everybody else. And we do sometimes get discouraged. The difference is that some people can't move past discouragement. They can't move past it. Uh, They are the ones who turn back. You ever go on a mountain hike in a national park? One of those trails where you go up to a destination, then you turn around and come right back down the same trail. It is always fascinating to me the low percentage of people who actually finish the trail. A lot of them you can tell right away. You can just tell it's a disaster waiting to happen, right? A lot of people start. Not nearly as many people finish. I want to suggest to you there's a lot of people who start the Christian walk. But it's hard sometimes. And it's especially hard at first. And we get discouraged sometimes. And there is a devil out there. You guys aware of that? There's a devil out there. There's somebody out there that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There's a defense out there. I often think how many points a game I could have scored in basketball had there been no defense. We maybe could do a lot better if there wasn't an opposition, but there is. There's a Satan. He comes to steal, and he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. And a lot of times we, we get saved, and God fills our hearts, and, and it's really good, and then we kind of get a ping, and we step out, and we serve in some way, and something will always happen that discourages us. doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It means there's something wrong with the world. But when we get discouraged, now all of a sudden we're at one of those forks. We can either figure out how to get over it, or we can just turn around and go back to the car. The ones who find a way to renegotiate discouragement, the ones who find a way to stay on the trail when they're faced with exactly the same obstacles as the people who turn back, those are the ones who overcome. And you say, well, what's the secret to staying on the trail? You're living it right now. The church is the secret to staying on the trail. Having people with whom you're accountable is the secret to staying on the trail. Having friends in the faith are the secret to staying on the trail. You say, well, I don't really have any Christian friends. Well, let me be real honest. It's a little bit like an oak tree. Do you know when the best time to plant an oak tree is? 20 years ago. You know when the second best time is? Right now. If you don't have a Christian community, if you don't have people around you, uh, Why don't you lean into that? Why don't you join one of these ping groups and meet some people? Say, I'm not great at meeting people. Nobody's really great at meeting people. Some people just try harder than others. You know, people tell me, we're going to have a party. And I'm thinking, you know, I'd rather be shot out of a cannon without a helmet than have to go to a party. You know, well, parties are fun. No. No. Sitting home with my dog and Melissa's fun. Parties. (laughs) But sometimes we just got to push a little beyond our comfort zone. We we had a really cool men's event on on Monday night. It was awesome. Spirit of God just showed up. We had a whole gym full of men. It was just this incredible thing. But I noticed there were some guys there that didn't know anybody. They didn't know anybody. And I thought, how much courage would that take just to show up? You know? You don't know a soul. Would I have done it? No, but they, they, they're there, 
And then I got noticed that there were guys around looking for those guys. And they went and talked to those guys and they connected those guys with each other and they connected them to other places. I, I heard some people uh, who were at a table with people they knew and they had a couple seats and there was a guy walking by that clearly wasn't connected to anybody. And they said, why don't you just sit down with us? And I thought, this is awesome. This is the church working. Why don't you join one of these ping groups? Why don't you join a connect group? Get involved. And you say, well, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know if I can do that. Well, you got two or three people here. Maybe start something. Start your own. You don't have to do something that's officially organized and sanctioned. You don't have to have a decoder ring or a certificate card. Just start something yourself. Just see what happens. We've got an online ping group going. You know, maybe that's your first step. Maybe you're not ready to deal with humans, okay? Just give some a step. Just kind of break the inertia. Objects at rest tend to? Objects in motion tend to? So get in motion. Sometimes it just takes a little thing to get into motion. The key to not getting discouraged and to not turning back is to be in relationship with other Christians. Another key and a way God can use you is to encourage people. One of the things I love to do, if, we, if Melissa and I climb to the top of a trail, let's take the chimney tops in uh, the Great Smoky Mountains. Anybody climb to the top, top of the chimneys? It's, it's a pretty steep trail. It's not long, but steep. And people get discouraged going up because you're, you feel like your thighs are going to fall off. And so people get discouraged. But one of the things I love to do when I'm coming down, I'll say, hey, it's not that much further. <laughs> that may or may not be true. <laughs> but, hey, it's not that much further. Hey, it's going to be so worth it. You've already made it this far. You can do this. Just encourage each other. Guys, you should look for people to encourage. We should listen for the Holy Spirit pings. Just to encourage one another on the journey. Do you see somebody that's discouraged? Encourage them. Lift them up. Get connected. It's so important to staying on the trail. So Paul is encouraging the Colossians, don't just be starters, be finishers. Don't just be starters. Be finishers. And then he says, I will give you the, all the endurance and patience you need. God is just. God makes available to us what he needs to accomplish. So anything that God would ever ask you to do or me to do, God has made that available to us. God will never ask you to do what God has not equipped you to do, or God would not be a just God. God would be a cruel God. And God isn't cruel. God is just, and God is full of love. So he says, I'll give you everything you need. You say, I don't feel like I have what I need. Maybe you're just not tapping into it. Maybe you're just not tapping into it. You see, whether are not we're willing to embrace, apply, and utilize what God has made available to us is a very different matter as whether or not God has equipped us. And what I want to suggest to you, the Bible promises that God has equipped you to do anything God would ask of you. He's given you the right equipment. Now, the question becomes, are you willing to embrace his call? Are you willing to apply and utilize what God has made available to you? Imagine that when you received Jesus into your life, that God gave you a backpack. 
So imagine that you said, Jesus, come into my life, and God just hands you this big old backpack, all right? He just hands it to you. He says, here you go, kid. You're going to need this. And don't forget to read the instructions. The only remaining question after that is, is, do you trust God or not? Do you trust God or not? Are you going to do what God says to do, or are you going to go it on your own? And that's the question we all have to answer with our lives. Do we trust God? Do we trust the word of God? Or are we just going to do this on our own? Are we going to live by the teachings of the Bible? Or are we just going to do what makes sense to us? Are we going to take the narrow path? Or are we just going to do what everybody else is doing? That's what we've got to decide. But I'm suggesting to you that if you've asked Jesus into your heart, God has given you a backpack. You've got a backpack. The Bible is our backpack. Christian leaders, we're trail guides. Scripture contains everything God wants us to have to live the life and fulfill the purpose for which we were created. So I want to suggest that in the word of God, you've got everything you need to be the Christian God created you to be. It's there. It's there. You want some advice from a trail guide that's been at this a little while? Don't lose your backpack. Don't throw anything away. Don't decide any one thing's unimportant because you don't presently understand its purpose. Follow the directions. Establish a learning curve. Keep your eye on the goal. And most of all, trust God more than you trust yourself. Trust God more than you trust yourself. You see, this won't just get you off to a great start. This will assure a great finish.